following content is a PodCloud Network production. Hey, What's going on, everyone? Today is Monday, August 28th, 2017, the last Monday in the month of August as we push forward to September and the summer winds down as I would like to walk you to this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and the Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Remember, guys, this show airs live every single Monday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and, of course, at LloydAThompson.com. And I hope all you guys had a great week and even a better weekend. Remember, if you have any questions, you can always shoot them through email to Lloyd at PartMyFresh.com or Twitter, Lloyd A. Thompson, one word, or through Instagram at Lloyd A. Thompson, one word. We have a very exciting show for you today, guys. As always, we got the Conor McGregor-Floyd Mayweather fight. We got that Colin Kaepernick rally that I was telling you that I was hitting up. We got the Jets versus the Giants this weekend. We got the Yankees going up against Seattle. Exciting show. Let's not waste any more time and let's get this thing going. So buckle up, sit back and relax, and start spreading the news. Hey, yo, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, like we always do at this time, it's Monday. That means it's time to talk sports with Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike. Let's go, fellas. Guys, as always, I'm waiting for the Mad Mike to call in. It's like, uh, this dude is like a, you know, it's like a Russian roulette. Well, you never know where this dude is going to be or wherever he's going to land. So let's see. Yo, Mad Mike, where you at today, baby? Calling in from the Jersey Shore this weekend. Had to take the family out for a quick three-day vacation. That's what's up, brother. I hope you guys had a great time. It's always good to unwind. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, you know, we had this big fight, you know, over the weekend. The Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather. Uh, I don't know if you will call it a fiasco. It wasn't a fiasco. It was, a, it was more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. But Floyd got the TKO win in the 10th round of the fight. A lot of people feel that McGregor won the first couple of rounds, and the only reason why I feel that they can say that is because he was more of the aggressor, maybe the first three or four rounds. And, you know, according to Floyd, that was part of the plan. And, you know, Floyd did his thing. You know, he looked every bit of, to me, Floyd looked every bit of a 40-year-old fighter, but maybe he looked like a 40-year-old fighter. Because, it, you know, he was boxing the way he doesn't normally box. Like, I've never seen Floyd, the whole entire fight, he was moving towards Conor. And normally Floyd doesn't fight that way. But the entire fight, he was moving towards Conor, constantly moving towards Conor. The entire fight, you know, so that was that was different. <laughs> that wasn't what I was used to seeing from Floyd. So he threw me a curveball with that. Yeah, I thought, I thought uh, Floyd kind of uh, boxed exactly to the game plan. He gave away the first few rounds. Um, you know, I guess get the crowd engaged for one reason. Two, I think it was uh, he, he wanted Connor to run out of gas. You know, we, we touched on it briefly last week where Connor is a, you know, he's a three-round fighter in MMA, a 15-minute fighter where 
you know, Floyd did the same. If you remember a few years back, he did the same exact thing to Zab Judah. He he know he knows Zab Judah is a fast starter who fades in the second half of fights. So all he did was play it safe, not put himself in any position to to allow Connor or even in that case Zab at the time. They, they, they didn't land big blows. So he waited him out. He tired him out. And then, like you said, he stalked him. And he, he played, he showed us a role that he hasn't shown us, you know, maybe ever. But at the same time, he, he knew what, what he had to deal with. MMA fighters fight with four rounds gloves. Even though he, he uh, you know, okayed eight ounce gloves, there's still twice the, the, the weight of what Connor's used to throw in. You know, he's, I don't even know if Connor was hurt more than he was just exhausted. You know, weary legs, tired arms, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think he hurt Connor at all. But I mean, let's face it, first and foremost, Floyd Mayweather is not a knockout puncher. He's not a knockout boxer. And he's really a boxer that, you know, he gets his offense off of his defense. You know, so a lot of his offense comes from making fighters miss and being so great defensively. But I just want to say, you know, this whole notion, you know, that people were saying, the media was saying that Conor McGregor, you know, wouldn't punch Floyd Mayweather in his face. That's such an asinine comment because it's not take away that Conor McGregor is one of the best stand-up MMA fighters in the UFC. So for people to say that he wasn't going to hit Floyd Mayweather in his face at all, I don't know what kind of drugs they were using or what that was about. But interestingly enough, we're going to hear we're going to hear interviews from both fighters from the post uh from the post fight conference in a few minutes. But you know, again watching the fight, you know there was a lot of things that I was like what is this referee doing because there was so much of Conor McGregor hitting Floyd Mayweather in the back of his head. You know, during breaks, and the referee was allowing it to happen, but at the same time, the referee was saying, "Well, Floyd, stop turning your back to Conor McGregor." And a lot of times, Floyd wasn't turning his back to Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor would do like some sidestep thing, but you know, like almost a UFC move, where we end up behind Floyd Mayweather, and he kept on rabbit punching him in the back of the head. He even punched Floyd Mayweather in the ass once or twice. He got a warning from the from the referee, and he kept on doing it. And the referee just didn't take a point away. So what Floyd started doing is during tie-ups, Floyd was giving Conor a form to the face, and rightfully so. You know, again, at the end, you know, the fight, Floyd Mayweather brought up a great point. And he was like, you know, I can't fight and referee the game. You know what I mean? Referee the fight. You know, only thing I can do is fight. You know, and that's well, exactly what he did. Yeah, he, he I'll say this. Floyd really did keep his composure when you consider the fact that he was taking a lot of punches to the back of the head. He was taking a lot of punches to, you you know, the, the hips. Uh, Connor was, you know, kind of given the sidestep. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say hook, but, you know, he was kind of spinning Floyd. Maybe Floyd on some occasions kind of exaggerated it where the ref would have to, you know, let him know that he, he's got to kind of, you know, he can't turn his back to Connor. But you got to remember something. This is an MMA fighter. Some of these punches that he's throwing, these are legit punches in MMA. And that was my concern. You know, I know Floyd put stipulations in the contract where dirty play, you know, 
whatever you want to call it, there were fines for it or, or whatever. But old old habits die hard. And it's not like Connor Connor mentioned that he's he's looking they're looking to do the Nate you know he hinted at the Nate Diaz trilogy, which means that Connor after this fight is looking to at least go back to the octagon for one more fight. So you're, he's not going to break those habits. He still needs to rely on those habits going forward um, if he wants to continue with his career. He's not going to start a boxing career at 29 years old. So. You know, I I know I don't understand. You know, Floyd is right. He can't referee the fight, but he knows better than that, man. Because we're talking about a fight where these guys are expected to to make in excess of four hundred four hundred fifty million dollars total, and you're not going to have a ref disqualify Conor McGregor. So you knew that these fouls were uh, there was a potential for these fouls, and and there was nothing the ref could do. I mean, what was the ref going to do? Penalize them and penalize them at some point. You've taken enough points in the fight. You have to disqualify him. That was never going to happen. It's just, it's just more Floyd, you know, being Floyd and giving you a little bit of misdirection in his commentary. He did the same thing after the after the Pacquiao fight when he said, "Well, both guys came into the to the fight 100 percent healthy." Nah, we we knew we we found out the next day that that Pacquiao fought with a torn rotator that they refused to give him. You know, a painkiller. They they refuse to allow him to take the painkiller. That's Floyd always misleading. You know, us, the fans, and and, and giving us misdirection. It happens, uh, you know, very often, and nobody uh, calls him out or even points that out on him. Well, let me say, it was you know, you brought up a point that he kept his composure, and he actually did keep his composure and did a great job of keeping his composure. But let me add that I wasn't saying in the sense that he was crying about it. You know, he had a valid point, in my opinion, watching the fight. He had a valid point. But at the same time, you also brought up the fact that, you know, he's fighting an MMA fighter. So sometimes that mentality is going to come out on the ring while, while, you know, while Conor was boxing. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm sure Floyd understood that. You know, it got to a point where how odd is it to see a boxer cover up the back of his head? He wasn't covering up his face during during tie-ups. He was covering up the back of his head because Conor kept on rabbit punching him in the back of his head. But, you know, he kept his composure and he did his thing. But right now, let's hear from both boxers. We're first going to hear from Conor McGregor on his thoughts. And then we're going to hear from Floyd Mayweather on his thoughts. So let's listen to those interviews real quick mad mike so first up we have conor mcgregor giving his thoughts and perspective on a fight that took place on saturday let's listen to conor real quick guys it was an honor for me to come over here in the boxing side and showcase my skills i know there was a lot of disrespect and disregard for my skill you know what i mean i'm a multiple weight free fighting world champion i, I, I was a little bit taken back by the, the, the disrespect and the disregard that i was shown in in fairness floyd and his team never actually showed that disrespect it was just the overall everyone else and it was almost like a little bit of a jealousy thing so i kind of just got over it but the disrespect for my skill set was a little bit you know it took me back a little bit but um i i always knew that when the fight comes around august 26 i'm gonna show up and i'm gonna give a good account of myself and i thought i'd put him out there and i went to put him out and I believe the first couple of shots flustered him and I, I hit him a few times, but then he started reading it and then he started parrying the shots well. He had a good strong parry on his lead hand. Um, he dipped low, caught, caught the body shots well. When he started engaging in his right hand to the body, I thought it was very well. Um, 
I enjoyed the fight. It was it was a great contest and a lot of uh, a lot of stuff I'll take with me um, to in my training. That's that's that's. People ask me what what's next. I'm not quite sure what's next. I have multiple titles in the UFC to to, to think about. Um, I could also continue in the boxing game. So um, what's next for me is continue to study and continue to learn. I'm a student of, of martial arts and fighting as a whole. I've studied everyone in the game, in all games, including Floyd. And it was an honor to share the ring with him and, and, and get up close and personal. I feel <clears throat> I feel I held my own earlier. I feel it was close. I feel 5-4. I feel it was 5-4 into round 10. I would have liked him to get to, to, the, to the bell to see what was what. So that was Conor McGregor giving his perspective on the fight and the loss that he took. But more interesting than anything else, he actually gave props to Floyd Mayweather. And he also said that he would take what he learned from that fight in Floyd Mayweather and apply it to his future fights in MMA, which I feel is really a very smart move by Conor McGregor. Now let's listen to Floyd Money Mayweather on his perspective and his take on the fight. I wanted to go out with a bang. I told you guys it'd be blood, sweat, and tears. And um, I told you he was, a hell of a, he was a hell of a fighter standing up. Kind of shocked me. And um, I told my dad, it was something I was talking to my dad about, that we, that we, that me and him would keep amongst us because certain things don't go out to the public, you know. Um, but we had a game plan. Our game plan was to take our time, let him shoot all his heavy shots, to keep walking him down, keep walking him down, shoot heavy shots to the body, shoot big shots up, up upstairs. And, he, and my dad said around, my dad thought it was going to be a little bit earlier around the, the 7th or the 6th. But, you know, it, it took us a little longer than we expected, but we did what we, we, did what we said we was going to do. And I promise everybody, remember this. You know, I told you people, I guarantee you this fight wouldn't go the distance. I told you, I was going for the knockout, I was going straight ahead. And with going straight ahead, you're going to take contact. I understand that. But, you know, after 21 years uh, in the sport of boxing, you know, um, I had some great fights, I had some boring fights. But at the end of the day, uh, I will be always remembered as a winner, you know, no matter how you win, as long as you win. And I knew how to, I, you know, I know how to dissect my opponent. I know, I know how to go out there and break them down and just stick to the game plan. So that was both perspectives from both fighters, Matt, Mike. And, you know, according to Floyd Mayweather, he's done. But, you know, Conor McGregor, you know, you brought up the fact that, you know, he's tinkering with fighting Diaz again for the third time. But he's actually in a good situation where he can make money in the UFC and in boxing. But I tell you, one fight he needs to stay away from, and I'm hearing Oscar De La Hoya is trying to make that happen, and that's about with Canelo Alvarez. Now, watching, you know, he ran out of gas, Conor McGregor did against Floyd. And Floyd couldn't put him down. But I tell you this much. If he pulls that against Canelo Alvarez, Canelo Alvarez will knock him into next year. Yeah, I, I just think uh, that's there's no shot at that happening. Not even from a boxing perspective. Just the way Oscar De La Hoya rubbed everybody the wrong way. The way he tore down this fight. You, you know, it, it kind of did seem like a little bit of jealousy because... Yeah, we all know it was a gimmick, but it was a gimmick he didn't think about, so it wasn't his brainchild. This fight will never happen. Dana White won't put any money in Oscar's pockets, neither will Connor. Uh, not only that, but uh, assuming uh, Canelo gets by Triple G, 
and everybody knows I'm in Triple B's corner, Triple G's corner. Um, he, the, the winner of that fight is going to fight Miguel Cotto. Miguel Cotto fought last night and uh, basically announced his retirement following uh, this December where he hopes to fight the winner of the Triple G Canelo fight. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Triple G wins. It's a big money fight that he's looking for. And if Canelo wins, it's 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 a rematch with Cotto. You know, one that you know you know the first fight Cotto was involved. So there's no shot in that. I think Connor sticks to MMA. I honestly think he only has one fight left in him. You know, just to 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 bring whatever fans he gained yesterday with that performance over to the MMA side. And then I think he rides off into the sunset. Guy made more than $100 million yesterday. There's no reason to keep fighting at that point. Well, for those that don't know or don't have any sense to know that there's a big difference between fighting in a boxing ring and fighting in a UFC ring. And that completely proved it with Conor McGregor just running out of steam, you know, towards the end of the fight. So, you know, I'm excited about this Canelo Alvarez Triple G fight. And, you know, I'm even more excited about Cotto uh, getting the winner of that because Cotto, to me, gave Floyd really his toughest test when he fought against Floyd Mayweather. So I'm really excited and looking forward to that. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss this Colin Kaepernick rally I was at. We're going to talk about this Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving trade that was made. And now it's put on hold. Jets, Giants, Yankees, so much more. We'll be right back with more of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Welcome back to the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. We went over early in our first segment over the, the Conor McGregor-Floyd Mayweather fight and the possible fight of Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz and the possible fight of Miguel Cotto fighting the winner of Canelo Alvarez. And Triple G. But my Mad Mike, I was at this Colin Kaepernick rally the other day, and I was I was quite surprised at the amount of people that showed up. And people were from all over the place. There was people from the Baltimore area. There were people from Virginia. So it was quite a few people that traveled to this rally. And more important than anything else, Matt Mike, you know, I really don't want to get too politically correct or p political on this show because we discuss sports and I don't even want to turn it into a race thing. But, you know, there's a thing that's that, you know, that said that minorities, not just blacks, but blacks, Hispanics, that we can't be together in a collective group and not be wild and, you know, and not do things that people expect us to do. This is my first rally, and, you know, I was proud to be a part of it, but it was so peaceful and so productive and so energetic that, you know, I was I was really, uh, you know, I was really proud to be a part of that. But let me just throw this thing at you, Matt Mike. You know when that rally started that the NFL office removed the American flag from their building before this rally started? That was, to me... That was such a strong statement by the NFL. I have a couple of, um, I did a couple of interviews with some of the people that were there during the support. But I just want to start off, you know, a small segment leading to those interviews. And then me and Mad Mike are going to give our opinions on the whole Colin Kaepernick thing. 
shower became a little bit more crowded than usual on Wednesday afternoon as hundreds of people came to the United We Stand Coalition rally in front of the NFL headquarters to support Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick, I don't want to have, I don't want him to have to wait for 30 years to know we celebrate him. You waited 20, 30 years to tell us we can celebrate Muhammad Ali. We ain't waiting now, right now. We celebrating Colin Kaepernick right now, today. I stand with Cap. Mark talked about Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail, that there were a group that didn't want Dr. King to be there. And he said, I'm here because injustice is here. I want the media to see not just those who are speaking, but the countless thousands who are here standing so that Kaepernick knows he's not by himself. Everybody who's here standing with us, make some noise now. I'm joined now by former NFL offensive lineman and SNY's Willie Colon. And Willie, obviously some powerful messages. What did you take away from this rally? This was a very peaceful rally. And, and the theme of the rally was all about unity. At this point, they want Colin Kaepernick to have a job. They called out the NFL September 7th, right before we started this rally, the NFL right here took down an American flag. Uh, and, and I don't know if it was because of the rally, but I'm just going to jump out there and say it was. Uh, so that was a strong message in itself. And all these people here talked about unity. Uh, it wasn't about uh, calling out a singular race, but about us coming together as Americans. How much pressure do you think this rally will put on the NFL now? Well, hopefully it puts a lot of pressure. And right now they've talked about they want to negotiate. They want to have a sit down. They want to talk about why Colin Kaepernick does not have a job. They want to talk about why the money that they make has not been distributed into the urban community. want to talk about why at this current state we are having race issues and how, we, our, answers, how our questions are not being answered. The message today was so much more than just football. Yes. Obviously, I think we can all agree that Colin Kaepernick is not in the NFL for more than just football. But do you think the next time a quarterback job opens up that uh, Colin Kaepernick will get the call? Well, me, me being a former Jet, I know one that should be open. Uh, and I'm going to just leave it out like that. Colin Kaepernick, it's ridiculous. And they highlighted this at the uh, at, during the rally. His stats, his his game, his resume speaks for itself. He should be in a helmet. He should be playing a National Football League. And there's no question that it, at this current state, on August 23rd, he is being blackballed. And that was former NFL player Willie Colon, who retired from the Jets. And he also played with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he brought up some interesting points. But like I was saying, Matt, Mike, you know, what are your thoughts on this whole Colin Kaepernick thing? And, you know, do you feel that there's ever going to be a solution and that this young man to be back in the NFL playing football again? I I, I want to, one, I want to say I'm happy to see the support that he received this week. But I, I don't know if this is helping his cause. And I'm, I'm going to give you two examples of why. You know, LaShawn McCoy this week came out against him. You know, LaShawn McCoy is one of the elite running backs in the league. He's one of the more prominent names in the league. And he comes out and and he says that basically, you know, Kaepernick's situation, he's not good enough to have on the team and to deal with, with the distraction that comes along with him. You, you know, he, he said that the reason Michael Vick, a convicted, you know, convict, was able to come back in into the locker room in Philadelphia was because he was ten times better, uh, he was ten times more talented than Colin Kaepernick. Well, I'll tell you this: Michael Vick never made a Super Bowl, he never won an NFC title. So you know that's the kind of things here that that you know I think 
hurt him. And, and J.R. Smith kind of called him out, right? He called LaShawn McCoy out and said, you know, it's about time for us to stop uh, attacking our own. You, you know, there isn't LaShawn McCoy a guy who was convicted for assaulting or, or, or was charged with assaulting a police officer. Just saying, you know, that these are the kind of guys that you kind of knock your own guy, right? And, and here's the other example I wanted to give. Jason McCourty. I applaud Jason McCourty. He said this week, Americans come from all types of different backgrounds, black or white, rich or poor, immigrant or not. Wherever you come from or live, we want the same thing. We are all Americans. He's standing up. He basically said, we don't want people to lose sight of what Colin Kaepernick was kneeling for. We understand that he's been made a villain. We understand that people feel he's disrespected the flag by sitting, but we don't want you to forget why he's doing it. There's a reason why it's being done. And that's what what I've been saying all this time. Sometimes we got to stop looking at the action because the action is what's pissing everybody off. But if you if you dig in and really look at the meaning, if if you want to understand the meaning of it, I mean, you have more more and more white players now that are, are coming out in support of him because they understand how serious it is. The reason they understand how serious it is is because when you go after a guy like Colin Kaepernick. You kind of lend, you you know, give value to what happened in Charlottesville. Well, I'm going to go after him for disrespecting the flag, but I'm going to stay quiet on that situation. You know what I'm saying? So I I don't, I don't, you know, a week ago I said he'll find a job. And this week I'm not so sure because this week you can see how divided, if the players are divided on him, how can we, you, you know, as people, as fans, um, how can we bring enough pressure to any front office in this league to give them a shot? We can't. The players clearly can't all. You, you know what I'm saying? Jason McCourty and LaShawn McCoy couldn't be looking at this any different. You, you know what I'm saying? Look how different both perspectives are on, on this one guy. Not only that, but I do want to highlight one other thing. In 11 games last year, Colin Kaepernick had a 90.7 QBR. He had 16 touchdowns and four interceptions. Does, doesn't LaShawn McCoy play on the Buffalo Bills where Tyrod Taylor, who's having a horrible preseason, and 15 starts, had an 89.7 QBR with 17 touchdowns and, and six interceptions? Mind you, Colin Kaepernick also averaged more yards per carry than he did last year. So you have a guy in LaShawn McCoy who's knocking this man and, and killing whatever whatever value he did build up last season. And he plays on a team where one of those quarterbacks that we mentioned were probably not better than Colin Kaepernick. So we're going to hear from some of the some of the protesters that were out there. I actually have an interview from two protesters that were out there. I have many more, but I chose these two because I felt they was very informative on their reasoning for being there. But the thing that people seem to miss, Matt Mike, more than anything else or bring back more than anything else is they keep on going back to him disrespecting the flag as far as the military service people go. When the first thing Colin Kaepernick came out and said was that this is not a gripe or beef against the military. That he respects them. He's proud of what they what they do and how they protect and serve this country. But people seem to nullify the reason why he's doing it and always go back to, oh, well, he's disrespecting the flag. 
He's disrespecting the flag. He needs to stand up because he's disrespecting the military. Well, that's not that's not why he's sitting. That's not why he kneeled to begin with. That's not why the players that are currently kneeling are kneeling to begin with. People need people in today's society and in America, which is one of the greatest countries to live in. If I had, I mean, let's face it. You see all the crap that's going on in Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan and North Korea and all of these places. We're very fortunate to be where we are. But it's sad that we're fighting a war amongst each other in this country. Where yeah, I mean, where the color of our skin divides us. You know, I thought we were past that. Not really. I, I'm not even going to say I thought we was past it because I'm not blind to the, you know, blind to the fact because racism is going to always exist no matter what. You know, it's just in different phases. Racism exists in different phases. But this whole thing going down in Charlottesville and again, not to be not to be political, but this is some old 60s nonsense, Mad Mike. Yeah, uh, like I, I was about to say, uh, you if they don't have the argument he's disrespecting a flag and he's disrespecting our military, then they're forced to have a conversation about what he's really, you know, kneeling for. And they don't want to have that conversation. And, and that's that's where we're at with this situation. The NFL doesn't want to discuss this. They don't they, they listen. They, they don't want their players, you know. They, they don't want activists on, on the field. They want their players to, to shut up, play the game, and cash a check. That's all they're looking for, and that's why he doesn't have a job. Now, we had Jerry Jones. I hear reports that Jerry Jones said if any of his players would take a knee during the national anthem, that he would release them. Well, let me throw out this scenario, Matt, Mike, because I was very disappointed in Des Bryant because – Des Bryant was like, well, you know, I got to put food on my table, so I'm not going to kneel. But let me throw this at you, Matt Mike. Des Bryant, Ezekiel Elliott, and Dak Prescott, you mean to tell me if those three individuals who, mind you, are three of the best players on the Dallas Cowboys team and roster, if those three players took a knee, that Jerry Jones is going to get rid of them, and then even if he does get rid of them, that they're not going to be signed by anybody else in NFL. You know what I'm saying? The one thing that I, I, you know, I listened to Shannon Sharp's show, and Shannon Sharp brought up a point about protesting. And again, I don't know if I said it in the last show, and I'm not going to harp on this too much. That protesting is necessary. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be very difficult. But in order for change. Protesting is necessary, and to me, if you have a voice, if you're a superstar, if you're a superstar in the NFL, you have a voice. If you're a middle-tier player and a lower-tier player, you don't have much of a voice because you could be cut, and there's a, probably a great chance that you won't be signed by anybody else. But there's no way in the world you can tell me, Mad Mike, that if Des Bryant, Dak Prescott, and Ezekiel Elliott took a knee during the National Anthem, that Jerry Jones would A, cut him, and B, that all the team would pick those guys up. Um, <laughs> this is an interesting one because I think that if they actually did you know, try Jerry if they did. You know, test them. I don't. I don't think Jerry would cut them. But it does speak volumes that he made that comment and not one player on his team knelt. You know, for their week three preseason game. Right. So it, it, you know, it's hard to do the hypothetical. 
Um, no, I don't think if Ezekiel Elliott nailed, he'd get cut, nor Des Bryant, nor Dak Prescott. I, I don't think it, it, you know any prominent white player on their team would be cut if he decided to kneel and show you know, support to the cause. But I think it's telling that none of them did. But you know, but that's that's the thing, man, Mike, because I say this I say this all the time and we've had this discussion before while we're in the gym lifting weights. The biggest problem with the NFL is that the players union is so damn weak. The players union that they think they have leverage, but they don't have any leverage, man. Mike, they don't even have guaranteed contracts. Look what happened when the NFL went on strike. When the NFL went on strike, you had players that were crossing the line. You have players that were, that were disrespecting their own players union and crossing the line. Meanwhile, when the NBA, when they threatened to go on strike, every player was going to stick to that plan and they were going to go on strike. You know, the NBA players have a very strong union. With Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball is another players union that's very strong. When they was going to go on strike... Everybody was going to go on strike. You didn't have players saying, well, you know what? If, I don't know. Like, if we go on strike, I might cross the picket line. All those guys were going to go on strike, and they were going to say, well, if you think you could bring in a better product than what you already have, then go right ahead and do it. And let's see how that works out for you. And well, look what happens. Yeah, I mean, uh, the players' union in the NFL and the NFLPA, that's an a, a argument for another day. Um, I'd love to, to get into that with you. But I'll say this. Between, you know, concussions, between steroids, the NFL can't afford another strike. The one thing that the NBA and Major League Baseball both understand in these last collective bargaining agreements, they understand that, you know, when you look at the other strikes that they've had, there's no coming back from one now. You know, those, those strikes, even the NHL, the NHL still hasn't fully recovered. And the NHL is loaded loaded with, 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 with young talent. And their game is probably better now than it's ever been. They still haven't recovered. They're still yeah, not can relevant. Can you really compare so the, the NHL? NFL, can you really compare the NHL to the NFL, old man Mike? The NFL no, but, but, but is but that's, a... that's 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 what that's where I'm going. That's where where I know where you're going and the NFL was not the number one sport in this country. You know, they took advantage of the NBA strike. They took advantage of the NHL lockout. They took advantage of ML of the MLB lockout and catapulted themselves to number one. Going on strike is going to open a door, and I don't necessarily know they want to do that. Now, getting back to, to, to the protest, um, I, I don't necessarily want to put that on the players' union. You know what? The players' union is going to stand behind their players. We haven't seen one player suspended for this. So we can't really determine how weak or how strong the players' you know, association is in this uh, regard. But I'll tell you this. Hugh Jackson said that he hoped that his team, that he thought that, that nailing was a, de was a divisive uh, weapon or, or action, and he hoped that none of his players would do it. And he had maybe more players than any other team not only do it, but they went to midfield to do it. So they openly defied their head coach and said, hey, you want to know what? We are not with you on this one. And I thought that was pretty telling. Yeah. So maybe we're heading in the right direction. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that the NFL Players Union is weak because they're not supporting the whole nil or stand up thing. I'm saying they're weak. Because they think they're getting an advance. I was watching something on on and on uh, HBO Real Sports where Brian Gumble was interviewing the head guy, and and even Brian Gumble was like, "Are you serious? You really think your union is strong? The NFL Players Union is not strong at all. 
you know, they may think they're getting something. There's players that are still having issues that still haven't gotten settlements for, you know, for bodily injuries. So I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't, I don't think the NFL players has a strong union and maybe they did benefit from the whole thing, you know, with MLB going on strike and NBA going on strike. And right, NHL had a, you know, they've, they've been having a tough comeback from the strike that they went on. But if you compare all four major sports, NHL is last. They're at the bottom. They're behind football, they're behind baseball, and they're behind basketball. So, yeah, a, a franchise, that's just like, you know, a, media, a mediocre player, you know, taking a knee. You're taking a chance that if something happens, you might be out of a job. You know, in that sense. But if you got, if you, if you're a horse, if you know, if you're a horse, then something's gonna come out of it. But let's listen to, you know, while I was out and about, let's listen to the interviews that I was able to get for some of the supporters there. What's going on? This is Lloyd from the Lloyd A. Thompson Show, and I'm at the Colin Kaepernick rally on Park Avenue in front of the NFL office. And everybody's out here. It's a, large, it's a good number of people here for a good cause. And I'm out here talking to some of the supporters here. Right here, I have a brother by the name of Star, sir. Trevor McKenzie. Trevor McKenzie. Where you from, Trevor? Um, I reside in Jersey City, New Jersey right now. All right. Glad to see you out here. I just wanted to get your you know, opinion on why you're out here and uh, how you feel about the entire situation with Colin Kaepernick. Why I'm out here is, is to support my brother that has done so much for his people by standing up for something that he believes is right and that I believe in right is right in, in terms of the police brutality and injustices to our people over the years. So what are we here out to do? To support him for supporting us because it's going to take all of us to come together, not, not just brothers, not just black people, but everybody of decency to come together to, to shed light on the situation and all the racial tensions that's going on in this country here and and we got to stake our rightful claim to be here just like everybody else you ready to talk to another Kaepernick supporter good brother here tell the listeners your name what up what up it's Lance Williams aka Lance Millions here on the check-in where you from Big L from Strong Island so you know we out here at this Colin Kaepernick support good cause there's a lot of people out here I just want you to tell the listeners you know your opinion and how you feel about this whole situation with Colin Kaepernick I am not uh, feeling this situation on the NFL's part I mean the brother is taking his platform he took a stand by taking the knee you know this is a big issue for a lot of us obviously police brutality and such and I feel like he's being made to pay a price because of the stance that he had that's not right I don't think you know it's not like the NFL circulated a memo probably that he couldn't be on the team but they didn't have to do anything like that you know like people knew you could tell by how like Jerry Jones you know for example was like oh people on my team you know if they do that they're not gonna be on the team you know what I'm saying so you have an owner like Jerry Jones and Dallas Cowboys making a statement like that you can imagine the other owners feel that way and that's just not right haven't heard them speak up or say anything about police brutality that affects a lot of people maybe not necessarily the athletes on their team but their family members or such they don't come out and say anything you know to support you know any of those people so by the same token they don't need to be penalizing Kaepernick for taking his stance you know and I've, I've said several times that you know there's 32 teams in the NFL 32 starting quarterbacks 
quarterbacks and 32 backup quarterbacks, and there's no way in hell that anybody can say that there are 64 quarterbacks right now better than Mr. Kaepernick. Zero, zero, zero chance of that. I mean, I don't even need to run down how scrubby some of these quarterbacks are that are still in the league, but I'll do it. Um, just today, as a matter of fact, and I mean, I shouldn't say this guy's scrubby, but the Browns named um, Deshaun Kaiser as their starter. He's a rookie. You telling me Kaepernick couldn't have been with the Browns? And even before that, Brock Osweiler, he's terrible, man. I mean, he's like a flash in the pan dude. He, you know, Kaepernick's better than him. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Geno Smith. I could go on and on and on. All these QBs that statistically, if you just go on stats, last year, in spite of the 49ers record, Kaepernick had a good statistical season last year. There's no way in hell you can tell me he don't deserve a shot, you know, starting for a team this year. Now, what do you feel might be the best course of action or solution? And do you think there's a solution to the problem? And do you think Kaepernick will ever touch a pigskin in the NFL again? I don't know. It's hard to say. I'm so conflicted on that because, you know, Lloyd, you know how it is with football. Like, let's just look at the playbook standpoint and all that. Unless he goes to a team with an offense that he's already familiar with, I would be leery about him taking a job now at this point because camp is done. You know, it's like it would almost be like he getting a job and setting up. They setting him up to fail, you know, because learning that playbook as a quarterback, getting in the rhythm with your offensive line, your tight ends, your receivers and blocking and everything that's very important and I feel like he would have needed to have had that not saying he can't do it because he's a super gifted athlete we know if the pocket breaks down he can just take off and make moves with his legs but I would feel comfortable with him you know going somewhere if he was familiar with the offense like case in point someone like Alex Smith who he happened to replace in San Francisco you know however many seasons ago it was Alex Smith was on the 49ers and stunk for like seven eight years in a row but he kept the same playbook each year or whatever. Not that that helped him, but, you know, that's just another example of, you know, breaks some people get. And, you know, Kaepernick had one bad year. You know, he took the team to the Super Bowl. They were like a play away from winning. The following year, I believe that's when he got hurt and whatnot. They didn't talk about that too much. You know, and then we get to the anthem protests. And like I said, statistically, he had a good year last year, but now he's not on the team. It just doesn't add up to me. Now, it to me, it was almost like he was set up to fail. Like you said, he, he was he was he wasn't announced the starting quarterback, and I forgot who was starting for San Francisco at the time. But they did so putrid. They were so putrid that uh, Chip Kelly had no choice but to put Kaepernick in. Was it was it Blaine Gabbert? Was he on? The- I'm not sure if that if that's who it was, but he was named. It, it might have been it might have been Blaine, but whoever it was. They named him to start over Kaepernick. I think San Fran was like they didn't win a game or they may have won one game. And they brought in, you know, Kaepernick. And he did nothing but came in and threw 16 touchdowns compared to four interceptions. Four interceptions, that's right. 16 TDs, four interceptions. Like Now imagine had he gotten a chance to play the whole year. Maybe a game or two that they lost early on. They could have won. He'd have gotten rhythm with the team. I mean, San Fran had some talent issues last year. I understand that. But still, you know, you got to put people, especially in the NFL, 
people got to be in a position to succeed, and he just wasn't put in a position to succeed last year. So we'll see what happens, man. You know, I pray that the brother gets another opportunity Absolutely. because without a doubt, he's a talented individual Absolutely. by NFL standards. Absolutely. And it's a shame that the NFL is doing to him what they are right now. Yep, absolutely. I agree. I agree. So thanks for your time, brother. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Love the podcast. <laughs> so there were some perspectives from the fans or supporters that were there. So we'll see what actions would be taken by the NFL. But moving on, Matt, Mike, we had the New York Jets versus the New York Giants this weekend. And for the first time in three preseason games, the New York Giants offense Looked pretty decent. The defense played like the defense, but the offense looked pretty well. They were able to move the ball, you know, down the field when they had the ball, you know, outside of the first possession. I think they had a three and out. But every other possession they had, they was able to throw the ball down the field, and that was without Odell Beckham Jr. or uh, uh, Marshall, Matt Mike. Yeah, I mean, they they were able to go down, but I think we have to – yeah, I think the Jets' defense kind of was deflated by how the offense struggled under Christian Hackenberg yet again. I think they were a little tired in that first quarter because the Jets, I believe, you know, had some turnovers and and you know, and a couple three and outs. Uh, offense just looked really bad. Defense looked like they were unable to feed off of it. And then Leonard Williams, you know, coming out of the game, uh, I thought Eli Manning was crisp. Uh, you know, short stint. You know, obviously they didn't need. Eli to be Eli because with no Marshall, no Odell, why risk injury to him? He's not developing any timing or anything with with backups. So, you know, he looked good to me. Uh, Eli did. Yeah, he did. And, you know, that was a positive sign. And I was getting a little nervous. But, again, it's the preseason. So you really don't read. You know, it's really tough to really put all your eggs in a basket when it comes to that. But I will say that Bryce Petty, Look actually pretty well, even though he was going up against the Giants third string or maybe fourth string guys. But he, he looked good again, man. And, you know, Christian Hackenberg, he had a rough go around. Matt Forte ran the ball. You know, he had a couple of nice runs. Um, You know, Adams missed a couple tackles. And, you know, uh, Shepard and uh, Roger Lewis Jr., and Evan Ingram, they were able to get open and make some plays down the field, Matt, Mike. Yeah, I, I thought that the Jets secondary, uh, mainly their average backup cornerbacks, uh, you know, Morris Claiborne didn't play yesterday. Uh, so for the most, uh, you know, I just thought that they're, they're, I thought the Giants took advantage of the backups for the Jets uh, just have a lot of problems, man. Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I think the defense is going to be okay as long as they're 100% healthy. Um, but it, let's talk about this quarterback situation for a minute, man. You know, I hope over the last few weeks, uh, culminating with Saturday night's game, I hope that I've kind of uh, swayed you on Bryce Petty at least doing enough to win this backup job. You know, the Jets and Todd Bowles, can continue to force feed us Hackenberg. Bulls once again yesterday blamed the offense as a whole. You know this from being in a football in a locker room, right? There's only so many more times this coach can go out and blame the offense as a whole and blame guys that had good games, you know, so he doesn't throw his underachieving, you know, far from ready, struggling quarterback to the Wolves. 
He, Todd Bowles is afraid to tell the world that Christian Hackenberg is not good enough yet. I'll tell you this. In year two, I have not seen the same growth in him that I saw in Petty last year in the preseason. And, you know, he came out of that game in the first half down 29-3. He threw, threw two pick sixes yesterday. Two. So I don't necessarily know how the Jets can continue to do this. Help me out, man. I, look, it, look at the numbers. Yo, look at the numbers. Even with that, Matt Mike, you know that Bryce Petty was injured in that game as well. Yeah, he, he MCL injured his, he injured his MCL. So that muddles the Jets quarterback situation even more, man. Like these, No, no, these... he'll be fine. He'll be fine, man. They said it already. He, he should be good for week one. Grade one sprain. Um, nothing serious. He's actually hoping to play this Thursday in, in, in the final uh, preseason game. And I'll be very honest with you. If he's healthy and he's ready to play, I want to see him get the first half start. And I want to see where he could take this offense in the first half and, and, and let Hackenberg follow him. Because maybe people will see it that way. Obviously, they're not seeing it, how much better this offense is playing, and they want to say, well, he's playing with the reserves. Put Petty with the first team. Give him the first team reps and let everybody see that this offense has some talent. I'm not going to say this offense is stacked. I'm not, I, won't, I won't do that. But Darius Stewart yesterday caught two touchdown passes. He looked really good with Bryce Petty. He looked like he, he could be a starter. Chad Hansen has looked really good with Bryce Petty. You know, we saw we saw um, Richie Anderson last year. All the growth he made, that was with Bryce Petty. You, you, you know what I'm saying? There's a common theme here. Everybody that looks good... It looks he looks good with Bryce Petty. Christian Hackenberg is not showing me anything, man. Nothing at all. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but you know, for some reason, they're putting a lot of eggs in that young man's basket, and maybe they want him. You know, sometimes organizations want a player like we always go to this Ron Baker thing. How the Knicks want Ron Baker to be that player? or, the, you know, the man, or close to being the man. And I think that the Jets are handling Christian Hackenberg the same way. He's like a play where you're like, yo, when are you going to realize yeah, yeah, that I'm, he's not you're 100%. You're 100% correct. And I'm going to give you an example right now of how good teams stay good teams and how bad teams stay bad teams. Check this out. The Jets just claimed Coney Ealy on waivers yesterday. After New England, who traded a second rounder and third round pick in March of this year for him, they released him. They said we not they they didn't care that they traded the two draft picks for him. They said this guy either I don't even know what they said, but I'll tell you this: I trust Bill Belichick, right? If Bill Belichick sees this guy traded two draft picks for him, said I see something in him that I can bring out and make him a star. The the New England Patriots are kings of that, right? We take we we take guys that that might be undervalued for other teams that we see as star potential, and we really develop them. You don't see them give up high draft picks often. They did that, and they released them. The Jets claimed them, right? What I'm trying to say is. They understood their mistake and they moved on before their mistake in the offseason became a problem in a regular season. The Jets, on the other hand, are saying, I don't care that I made a mistake and drafted this kid in the second round. I don't care that I made a mistake and carried four quarterbacks last season. I don't care that he doesn't look like he can be a quarter starting quarterback week one. 
I am going to keep running him out there. And I'm going to keep giving him reps that should go to a guy that's proving that he is actually developing and looks like he can be a, 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 a at least a solid starting quarterback in this league. Now, I don't know about you, but if you want to tell me he has a strong arm, fine. So does Bryce Petty. Check mark. You want to tell me that that which one is more accurate? Bryce Petty. Check mark. Which one is more mobile? Maybe you give it to Christian Hackenberg, but not by much, because if we want to hold it against Bryce Petty that he played in a running gun offense at Baylor that required the quarterback to be mobile. Don't tell me that a mobile quarterback in college can't be mobile in the NFL. There's nothing on the sheet outside of the fact that they said he needed time to learn a pro offense and read pro defenses. Outside of that, he, he had a check mark across the board. So don't give me that, that nonsense. The Washington Redskins for years made that same mistake with RG3, right? Well, guess what? Kirk Cousins was a fourth-round draft pick. Guess who's in line to get a $120 million contract in the offseason next year? Kirk Cousins. Why? Because he's developed into a star. We could have that. You could potentially have that on this roster. And because we use a second-round pick on a guy who, who shouldn't have gone in the second round, we might potentially overlook that talent in Bryce Petty. Well, we'll see what the Jets got two weeks to get it together. You know, before they open up their season, but you know, it looks like we always, you know, we already said that Josh McCown is going to be the starter. But you know, Todd Bowles needs to get a handle on that backup quarterback situation. And you know, the Giants' defense looked really good. Jerry, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, John Jerry got he got replaced during the game. Uh, Matt Mike, they put him um, Jones, Brett Jones, over him. So I was I was like about Tom that that happened. But on the flip side, what does that say? You know, as far as DJ Fluka going, where he's at on the depth chart, because yeah. you figured he would have been the guy to come in and replace John Jerry, but it wasn't. It was Brett right. Jones, so that's a little bit troublesome or whatever, but, you know, the preseason is coming to a close. There's one more game left for both teams, so I'm excited to get the, the season started, you know, and whatnot. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but moving on, Lord. man, Mike. Lord, wait, 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 wait. Before, right. before we move on, I, I do want to tell you that. It's funny you mentioned that because I, when I was watching that game and I saw DJ Fluker playing in the fourth quarter, that was one of the first things I wanted to mention to you because I know that that was, you, you know, you, you've liked what you've seen with him so far. So I was just wondering your thoughts on how he could have, you know, fallen so far in the depth chart where he's playing the fourth quarter of a Jets-Giants yeah, I preseason. Mean, I mean, not for nothing. I thought he was a little bit higher on the depth chart, you know, because he was working with the second unit. But who knows, you know, he's been he's been known to be a little bit of a lazy player. And, you know, you know, obviously he was with San Diego. And there's a reason why San Diego chose to cut him and not resign him. So, you know, obviously sometimes when that happens, you know, that those things follow you around. And maybe he's showing his true colors now with the Giants. But he has to continue to work hard because Brett Jones, I mean, let's face it, he's not a guard. He's a center. So, you know. DJ Fluka's a guard and he's a tackle. So I'm still on the DJ Fluka uh, bandwagon and on the DJ Fluka train. But, you know, we'll see what happens. If Brett Jones, he held his own. You know, he was going up against Muhammad Wilkerson and it was at times, you know, Muhammad Wilkerson was overpowering him. But he was able to hold Muhammad Wilkerson up enough, you know, in that front line up enough against the Jets to give Eli Manning some time to throw the ball. But he wasn't getting manhandled. Like John Jerry was. So you may have seen a leapfrog with Brett Jones, leapfrogging John Jerry and being in that starting unit, you know, come week one against Dallas. But, you know, moving on, 
Matt Mike, uh, we're going to move on to this I, this Kyrie Irving for Isaiah Thomas deal real quick that was made. And now the deal is on hold because Isaiah Thomas' hip problem, which, you know, he suffered last season. Um, and, it, you know, at this point, this deal needs to be done because if it's not done, you know, you're going to have a lot of unhappy players that's going on. So at some point, they both need to get this deal done. But real quick. I'm just going to say that I thought Cleveland got the better end of the deal because, you know, Kyrie, although I think Kyrie is a better scorer than Isaiah Thomas, they're both two very good point guards. But the fact that Cleveland got Jay Crowder, who's known as a defensive player, and he can score the ball, but Jay Crowder, now you have two defensive players and Jay Crowder and Iman Shumpin who could guard the one, two, and three, and you get, you know, upcoming center, from Boston as well, along with the Nets' 2018 draft pick unprotected. And you know that's going to be a top 10 pick. So kudos to Cleveland for pulling this off because you don't know if LeBron James is going to be there or not. So if LeBron James leaves, you still have somebody coming in with a top 10 pick that to help their organization. Real quick, what are your thoughts on the winner or loser of that deal, Matt Mike? Um, I thought the winner of this deal or potential deal was was clearly Boston. I mean, to get a talent like Kyrie for, you know, one, and Isaiah Thomas, that his hip injury is serious. And if we ain't learned anything from Bo Jackson, uh, hip injuries are not necessarily that easy to overcome. Not saying he can't do it, but I'm saying that even if he does get back, he might not be the same player. Two, I think getting back uh, uh, an Isaiah Thomas for Cleveland is redundant because we, we don't want to forget that they did sign Derrick Rose. I don't understand if these two are ball-dominant guards, where does that fit with LeBron James? And the reason I'm saying that is not because they're I'm looking at them long-term. I'm saying that these guys are only here for one year, and LeBron James only has one year left. So how are they going to, you know, if he's fighting for the ball, he, he, he LeBron James struggled at times to play with Kyrie Irving. How is he going to play with both of these guys? That's that's one thing. They did get a promising young center, but we still have to see more from that promising young center. Getting the pick from the Nets was key to me because in the end of the day, that might be the only thing they got out of this package, whereas Boston is going to have Kyrie for years to come. Well, Obviously, Boston's arrived. But there's no lock that they're going to have Kyrie for years to come, man, Mike, because Boston was not – one of the four teams that Kyrie said he wanted to go to. It was Minnesota. Yeah, but he's under contract. He's under contract. He is for two years, but he can walk away, though. He can still turn around and walk away. And let's not forget Jay Crowder, man. Jay Crowder is that boy can ball. And he was one of the players that when the Carmelo Anthony trade was talked about, he was one of the players that I would have loved have come this way in a deal for Melo. Melo was to go to Boston. But let's not forget the fact that Boston wasn't one of those teams that Kyrie named. And Boston actually has two years to convince Kyrie that this is the place for him to be. Kyrie seems excited. Reports is that he's excited to go there. So that's good for Boston. But, you know, I just wanted to point out that Boston wasn't one of those four teams, Matt Mike. But really- no, no, I get it. And he might leave them. And he, he might not like it. I mean, Boston, you know, and I hate to bring it up, but we just had this Adam Jones situation in Boston. Um, I, I don't want to paint fans with, with that brush because obviously you love your players. But how much they love them, I don't know, man. I mean, they did burn an Isaiah Thomas jersey 
Meanwhile, Isaiah Thomas gave them all he had in the playoffs, lost his sister. He didn't leave them. He didn't turn down a contract extension. They traded him. And the fans still decided that they wanted to burn his jersey in, in, in bad faith. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if that's where Kyrie wants to be long term. But if they win the title over the next two years, you know, or get to an NBA Finals, they'll, they'll take that. Well, this is going to be something that I'm sure we're going to discuss <laughs> on a further show being at the dealers on hold, so I'm sure this will come back at some point or another. But before we close the show out, you know, we're going to talk about the Yankees that handled their business. The message is just an afterthought. They're not even worth wasting our time on at this point, Matt Mike. But the Yankees had a ball in Chicago, and it was great to see that those guys stuck up for each other. And sometimes when you have adversity like that and you stick together as a team, you know, that actually make you, makes, you know, makes your team closer. And they handled their business against Seattle, taking two out of three. You know, they had a tough loss in the first game. You know, Chapman blew another game, but Severino pitched great. And, you know, it's looking like if the Yankees get that wild card spot, that Severino is the man to go with. But, the, you know, the Yankees handled their business against uh, Seattle before they faced Cleveland and Boston in some important games, Matt Mike. Yeah, I, I thought it was nice to see the Yankees go 4-2 and two last week. You know, uh, the brawl in Detroit was, was uh, that was something to see. It was nice to see them stick up for each other. Um, you never want to see that. You know, you, we can't afford to lose guys. To, to multi-game suspensions in the thick of this race. But being we, we have a five-game cushion and wild-card race, uh, the, the one mishandling I will say is if if uh, Gary Sanchez is appealing his suspension, I would have just had Romine you know, accept his two-game suspension immediately because you don't want to take a chance that those guys are going to serve their suspension at the same time. I understand Romine is saying I was defending myself. I shouldn't even be suspended. And, you know, not for nothing, yo, let's take some shots at Miguel Cabrera. He's a punk. Like, you, one, I, 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 I love the fact that Romine was able to duck the punch, take him down to the ground, and throw about six shots himself at him. And then Gary Sanchez, you know, kind of running from the dugout and catching him with the uppercut to the head. That was amazing. I'll take the four-game suspension just to watch that every time. But, you know, like I say, it was good to watch him. The offense kind of broke out, you know, in the middle of, uh, of it. They, you know, they sandwiched two two-game winning streaks with a two-game losing streak, which is what Joe Girardi teams do. I keep telling you that as well but you know this offense they got to find life and and sustain the life you know they went uh the bullpen the bullpen was depleted in detroit with all the ejections but then they like the game you're mentioning the cc game on friday night you know uh you can't be one one with the seattle mariners in the 11th inning. I know Chapman blew, you know, ends up blowing it and gives up the loss. But there's no excuse, man. We, we He shouldn't even be in. He should be in there for a save. He shouldn't be in there at that point, you know, trying to keep a game tied. It, it, enough is enough. So, you know, I, I mean, they're, they're trending upwards. Like I said, five-game lead in the wild card, only two and a half back in, in the division. yesterday? Yeah, Boston has uh, lost the last two two games, I think, or two of the last three. So what are they Yankees doing? are two and a half. Yeah, two and a half back now. We're still behind them, man. Listen, as hot as Boston was, you're only two and a half games back. This division is not over. And, and, and the one thing that the Yankees just got back is health. You know, Greg Bird is back, three RBIs already, and, and, and his two games back. You got Starlin Castro back. 
from from what I understand, you got Matt Holiday, you know, a week and a half away, week away. You know, this team could be at 100% offensively. And, and outside of, you know, Jaime Garcia looks like a really bad acquisition. But Masahiro Tanaka came off the DL and, and pitched two gems this, you, you know, last week against Detroit and Seattle. Yes, Detroit and Seattle. But those are the games that, that he, those are the teams he wasn't beating early on. So, you know, I, I, fingers crossed, Sonny Gray has been really good. You know, I think he's only given up uh, more than two runs and only one start as a Yankee. So that's a positive. This team is trending up. Everything is starting to come back together. The question is, can Joe sustain this? Can he bring it all together and sustain it for the final month of the season? Well, I I really think that this this upcoming week is going to really dictate you know, what's going to happen with the Yankees as far as them winning the division and them being in a wild card spot. But I'm really excited about baseball, you know, Yankee baseball again. You know, last year was rough for us as Yankee fans, but I'm really excited about baseball this year. Hey, And that brings us to a conclusion of this show. A great show, might I add. You know, I want to thank the Mad Mike, you know, from calling in, you know, during his vacay. You know, so I appreciate that. Also got to always thank... You know, the man that keeps this thing going, our producer, Omar Baker, a.k.a. A-O. And I want to thank you, the fans, for continuing to listen in and support us and continue to, you know, help this thing continue to move and grow. So with that being said, guys, have a safe and blessed week. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. And we'll see you again on Monday. Get up out of here. Great show today, fellas. I'm actually in my car putting this show together. I'm on vacation. Great job today. See all of y'all next week. Thank y'all for tuning in. This has been Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike. PyCloudNetwork.com and LloydAThompson.com. Peace.